Coming up on today's episode of The Realized Podcast with Peter Young. This was the worst case of parental alienation they had ever seen in a combined 60 years of practice. I could almost hear him shaking his head through the phone like, you know, he warned me. And, and for some reason, I just was blinded by love and didn't see it. Which in this case, Paige called me again, you know, a bloodline, a sperm donor, a devil, a sorcerer, a liar, an alien. And then he starts going on and on about how every single bad thing that's happened over history in the last hundred years is because of the Jews. Everything's a Jewish conspiracy. So when I met him, I had no clue that he was this raving anti-Semite. Now, before we get into this episode, I just want to ask everyone who has not subscribed to please subscribe. I've had a lot of growth in the past couple of weeks. Um, It's been amazing, but still, the majority of you who listen do not subscribe to the podcast. So I'd appreciate each and every one of you just hitting that subscribe button or even just liking the podcast or commenting would be amazing. So if you could just do that before we get into this episode, really appreciate it. But enjoy this episode with Peter Young. Peter, I've had many different guests so far. You know, I've had adventurers, I've had entrepreneurs, I've had athletes, I've had coaches, and this is probably the weirdest and most unique episode I've done thus far. Um, It's great you've come out the other side of it, but it's such a weird and incredible story. So if you could just let everyone know who you are and sort of what you do. Sure. First of all, thanks for having me on your podcast. I, uh, I live in Montana. I was born and raised on the East Coast in New Jersey, uh, played college basketball, then became a college coach, and then I was a sports broadcaster for many years, was married, had five children, was married for over 20 years, and married into, unwittingly, a tiny little religious cult that, as the years went on, really just kind of swallowed me up, uh, destroyed my marriage and my family, almost destroyed my faith. As you say, I I kind of was rescued. The Lord opened my eyes and ears, and through friends and family, I saw just how damaging it was. I had been brainwashed for probably two and a half, maybe three years. Now, of course, I'm strong enough to see just how awful it was, and I then wrote a memoir about it called Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger, released it in March. And, um, you know, cults operate on secrecy, and I was quiet for 20 years. I am quiet no more. I, I really want to be able to share this story and use it as a cautionary tale for others. Yeah, it's an interesting one, really, because when we, you know, when we think of cults, we think of big organizations with huge detrimental impacts, such as the Ku Klux Klan. Um, but what you were involved in was very different. It was a mini cult. Obviously, it was only a very specific, small group of people. So just sort of describe to us what actually a mini cult is and the difference between the two. Well, I always tell people, too, I'm not the expert on cults. I'm the I'm expert on what I went through. But again, when I got out of it and was clear thinking and in my right mind, you know, I would just Google what is a cult, what's a small cult, and you'd get a million hits, right? A million articles, maybe not a million, lots of articles, and the 10 signs or the five signs. And, and my jaw would drop as I would read these articles, like, oh, my gosh, we checked every single box. They do come in all shapes and sizes. And yes, you know, we did not shave our heads, live in a commune, everyone just having sex with each other, and we didn't commit mass suicide. But I tell people, we did drink the Kool-Aid. And it's always, always about the mind and mind control. So cults, no matter how big or small, will have a leader, narcissistic, uh, charismatic, makes all the rules, but is not subject to any of them, has a grandiose sense of self, and will often always, uh, often, not always, act as gatekeeper to God, no matter what the religion is. So that's what we had. So again, cults can be very small. Ours was, at its most, maybe a dozen adults uh, and then a couple children. And the fighting is, Ethan, there are a lot of cults, they want to grow. Uh, They want to keep bringing more people in. We were kind of the exact opposite, where it was very exclusive. So cults operate on secrecy and paranoia and guilt. That's how they maintain control. So, you know, the rest of the world didn't get our Uncle Robert. He was our little cult leader. And thus, since they didn't get him, the rest of the world, the rest of society is now a threat. So we have to circle the wagons to protect him. So we didn't share with everybody what was going on. So that's how cults really maintain a tight grip is through the paranoia and secrecy. And that's what we did. So one of the main themes throughout the the book is obviously that of religion and belief um, and how this can be altered as a result of 
the impressions of people around you. So obviously, you, you you know your ideologies of Christianity changed over the course of time that you were involved with this family. Um, so why does Christianity play such a huge role in your life, and why is it obviously um, you went for years that you were a Christian, and then obviously this group came into your life and got involved um, and said, actually, you know, that you're not truly Christian, uh, you're not truly found, so to speak. Well, I grew up in a Christian home, which a lot of people do, right? You grow up in a Christian home, but it's not really your faith. It's kind of like the faith of your parents or your or people in your church. And then as you become old enough to really kind of understand it, it really becomes your own personal faith. And so I, I went through that whole process that it truly was, I truly saw myself as a sinner saved by Jesus Christ. It's a free gift, right? And uh, clearly thought that for most of my adult life, but kept getting, you know, beaten up and beaten up and kind of eroded, if you will, by Paige, my former wife, and this Uncle Robert. So I always tell people, you know, I went along to get along. I love my wife. I love being married. I love my family. So I kind of put up with this and didn't say much when I thought he was spouting utter nonsense. But, you know, there's a phrase in the Bible, I'm going to paraphrase it, about, you know, the wolf doesn't get close to the sheepfold. In other words, the liar doesn't get close to other believers. But the wolf in sheep's clothing does, right? That's classic Uncle Robert. So Uncle Robert would read from the Bible, right? But then he would take each verse and give it his own unique and perverse spin on it. So that, you know, 5, 10, 20 years down the road, you know, you are way off from the gospel, and, and this, you know, would transcend any kind of denomination, you know, Methodist, Baptist, all these other denominations. I just call myself a Christian. And so would Uncle Robert. And so would Paige and her parents and all the people within this little cult. But they would say, I'm not, because the only true way to be saved would really, you would have to go through Uncle Robert, which is just completely unbiblical. And he's not the first guy to do that, right? Like, again, whether you're, know, you're Jewish or Buddhist or Muslim or Christian, to where this one guy or gal, you know, is now the ultimate authority to really where that person is your savior. Paige and her parents wouldn't call Uncle Robert their savior, but their behavior and their writings would highly suggest it. Yeah, so what you're saying there about Paige, the way Paige and, you know, her dad and her mom would put Uncle Robert on this pedestal, it was almost like that they were talking about him as if he was their savior. They went to him for advice for everything. They, you know, over your wife was going to some other man over you for all the advice. Um, and obviously it seemed to get very toxic towards the end, but I want to sort of start at the beginning. And when you first obviously came into, into an interaction with these people, how, how did that feel for you? Did it just feel like a normal family? Did it feel like a normal family? No. <laughs> Did it feel really bizarre like a cult? No, it didn't feel like that either. So to me, it's a fascinating story. Now, again, it's fascinating because it's mine, but I had seen Paige around campus and you couldn't mess with her. I mean, six foot one, gorgeous, long blonde hair, beautiful woman. And I found out about Uncle Robert, the weird family guru, before I even got her name. So I always knew he was there. And then, you know, first date, she mentioned him. First few weeks of dating, I would hear him a lot. When I met the father, we were a little awkward. You know, that's when, you know, I was at his house and was there, you know, 10, 15 minutes and asked to use the bathroom. Went down the hall and stood to pee. And then when I, you know, finished, flushed and opened the door, he's standing there mm. and says, uh, uh, you know, in our house, so we, we sit to pee, <laughs> you know, and oh, by the way, Uncle Robert taught us that. So, yeah, it was a little weird. And again, the Uncle Robert taught us that was repeated, you know, dozens of times over the years. But it wasn't to the point where I thought, oh, I, I got to stay away from Paige because I loved her. I mean, what family doesn't have their quirks, right? And doesn't have, you know, their issues. And then even when I met Uncle Robert, which would have been, which by the way, he's not related. You know, he's from Syria. And uh, my family, the, the Youngs, and then Paige's family, the Claussons, all, you know, Northern European, typical Northern European appearance. But when I finally met him, which would have been five or six months later, you know, charismatic, odd, eccentric, but certainly not what he became. I had no clue that this would happen. I had no clue. It was just a very 
odd way to begin, you know, an odd way to meet people because in what scenario do people come and, you know, in especially that way, come and stand outside the bathroom and say, we we don't stand, we sit because this specific man has told us to do so. Um, and what's interesting as well is the fact that you were actually warned by someone, weren't you, that to watch out for this Uncle Robert. So I was at the gym in Pocatello, Idaho, college town. I was, you know, a sports broadcaster at the time. And uh, it was my dream job. And here I'm hopefully going to meet my dream woman. And I'm in the gym with Gary, this guy that was, you know, good-looking guy, popular. He was a former athlete. And we're doing bench press, I think, maybe even. And I was describing Paige. I don't even know her name. He says, oh, yeah, that's Paige and her sister. And, oh, be careful. They've got this really weird family guru. And, yeah, it was not just a, an aside. It really was a warning. And, Ethan, it's fascinating because that guy, Gary, and that's his real name, and I've talked to him, uh, he would have moved away shortly thereafter. I know he knew that we got married because he had actually dated Paige. He was interested in her maybe like a year prior, and they dated for a brief time. I talked to him just a few months ago and had not talked to him in 25 years. Wow. Told him about my book and told him what had happened. And, you know, we both, I could almost hear him shaking his head through the phone. Like, you know, he warned me. And, and for some reason, I just was blinded by love and didn't see it. Mm. And he did. It's the the whole thing is just it's it's mind blowing because at at the start of the book it feels like you're very you know you're very stern you're very set on what you believe um you know you're open to changes in your ideology of what religion is and what have you but just the way they portrayed a lot of it you seem to be very set and stern on it but as the book goes on you're very you know it's very quick for you to go I just didn't say anything or I just let it go. And then all of a sudden it became, they, you know, they changed, I changed this and I changed that. And then it was, you let them save you. You let them, you know, what was it? Was it save you and you became an actual Christian was the way they described it. Yes, which I now know is, you know, I I now know that that was fraudulent. I became a Christian as a teenager. Hmm. Um, and then without a, you know, again, a deep dive into theology, I do believe the Bible talks about election, predestination, that God gave me the ability to be saved. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, was I a perfect Christian? No, that's all the whole reason why we need crisis because we're not perfect mm. and we never will be. Uh, but you know, the, the bar kept getting raised for my salvation by uncle Robert and Paige. I had to keep doing these things that he said I needed to do. And again, it was a very long time, you know, it was. The conference of 2015 was the first time they finally wore me down to where I finally admitted, oh, I must not be saved. And it really was, it was not a theological crisis of, oh, you're right, I'm not a Christian. It was more of a, I give up, right? Like, I give up. I don't know what else to do. I don't know what you want me to do. I give up. And, and, even, and even when they all thought, oh, Peter finally got it. He's now a Christian because Uncle Robert saved him. I was, even that day, like, Really? Like I had my doubts. I thought, really? All these years I haven't been saved? Like, I don't see this in the Bible. It was so difficult. It was such a frustrating um, time and a process to go through. A lot of cognitive dissonance. You know, I love my wife. I've, I've had this faith all these years. And yet here's this guy that I know is not going away, Uncle Robert. He has shared some things that do make sense that I had not known before. But with this, Really? So I describe it really more as I just, I got worn out. I got eroded. And I remember when I finally caved, you know, and Paige was certain I wasn't a Christian. Uncle Robert was certain I wasn't a Christian. And her Paige's parents as well. And it was, it was less of a, oh, I'm finally saved, as in a, oh, maybe I can finally have that marriage relationship that I've been missing. That's what I was thinking at the time. But yeah, they, they, they beat me down. They wore me out. How was it? The knowing the fact that not only your wife's family, but your wife questioned your integrity. Mm. It was brutal, uh, devastating. You know, I admired this woman. I loved this woman. You know, I had prayed before I met her. You know, Lord, I would love to, you know, meet this. I mean, who doesn't say this, right? You know, this beautiful, tall, blonde woman who's athletic and et cetera, et cetera. And, I was convinced that, you know, she was brought into my life for a reason, for a good reason. So then years down the road, while I still admired her, looked up to her, respected her, realizing that she did not admire me, respect me, or honor me, or anything, but she did all of those things for the family guru, 
was horrendous to have to live with that. And it was like my own little prison too, because I didn't share that with anybody. And oh, by the way, you know, if I was struggling with this, Paige would say, well, go talk to Uncle Robert about it. Mm. Which of course, everybody on the outside would know, well, he's the problem. But I didn't know that. Why didn't you speak to your own family about it? You know, I mentioned a little bit early on, a little bit early on, for instance, as Paige's siblings got shunned. So that happened a long, long time ago, just a few years into our marriage. There was a breakup in Paige's family to where three siblings got shunned. We couldn't even say their name. All the pictures came down off the walls and out of the photo albums so that way our kids wouldn't even know who these people were. So then I thought, well, I don't want that to happen to my family, to my brothers. So that was kind of the warning shot. And then they would ask, well, you know, what about Paige's sister or brothers? And, you know, I'd get kind of evasive. And then I would hear these things Uncle Robert was sharing at our conferences. And I, I knew that my family would instantly react along the lines of, really? You, do you believe that? Which then either would have immediately forced some kind of a showdown where I would have to approach Paige. And I knew the outcome of that. And the outcome of that would be, well, your family's wrong. And you either choose them or me. Yeah. They didn't want to have to make that choice. The whole situation where Paige's family was, well, sisters were shunned was quite incredible because given the magnitude of the allegations that her sister was putting forward and people were on that side of, you know, this could be true. And then all of a sudden like that, they've switched and like, get out, we don't want to speak to you. That is quite incredible to me that, you know, you can bring your children up and, you know, grow up with someone, probably best friends, and all of a sudden you're so quick to be like, I don't want anything to do with you now. Well, it was, it was, um, I wouldn't have been able to verbalize it at the time, but it was, you know, borderline terrifying because I thought, will this one day happen to me, right? So, you know, I'm one of five. I'm the youngest of five. We're all in our 50s and 60s. Paige was one of five. She was the second oldest. And so then the three youngest, as you described, were at one point shunned and vilified. And we had nothing to do with them. And that's 23 years ago. And, uh, you know, the accusations from uh, Rebecca, the younger sister, you know, were not criminal. I mean, they didn't sound good. And I remember thinking, really, could this have happened? But in addition to just those three siblings, so it was, you know, Paige and her parents totally cut these people out of their lives. And all the other cousins and aunts and uncles from Canada who still lived in the British Columbia area in Vancouver. So every single Clausen, again, that would be Paige's family and her maiden name, was shunned other than her parents and the one brother, all because this one person. It wasn't like a couple things, hey, so-and-so's got a you know drinking problem or whatever it is. Think of you know what breaks families up. One guy. You either were agreed with him or you were shunned to the point that after Paige had left me and things got really bad, went downhill really fast uh, with the children, with you know, my role, they called me you know, a sperm donor and a bloodline and a devil. Um, I finally reached out to the siblings and then told my children, you know, by the way, you know, I, I showed them a picture on my cell phone. I said, do you know who this kid was? And my kids were like, no idea. It was one of their cousins. They had cousins they didn't even know existed because their aunts and uncles had been so shunned and vilified, literally. And they're still, to this day, are, I think, four cousins they haven't met. Wow. And two uncles they haven't met. Have you spoken to Paige's sisters? Yep. She's got the one sister and two brothers. So I've spoken to, uh, at length, the one sister. In fact, she came out to Montana with their kids with her husband at the time. Fortunately, she's gone through a tough time, but they all came out. We vacationed together. And it was a miracle, really. I mean, here was this younger sister. She was called the redhead. She had red hair. She was so vilified, Paige did not even want her name said. That way, our children would not even remember she ever existed. She came out, her children and my children are playing, having fun, great time. And yet, this was all kept from my kids for many of their early years. Why? Because of Uncle Robert. Uh, it's just, it's wicked, the fallout that has happened because of this little cult. I mean, it's affected a lot of people. What are her sister's beliefs on the situation now? 
where she uh, very clearly sees, you know, who Robert Booty is and was, and was one of the first to really identify it clearly, and of course then was vilified for it, as have I now, once I finally recognized how wicked he was, you know, I'm just like Rebecca, I'm the devil, you know, I'm a horrible person, according to Paige and Uncle Robert and her parents. So, you know, the sister and I, we don't talk that much. Again, she's been kind of going through some difficult times herself, but we still see eye to eye on, yes, here's where the problem is. And, you know, she still loves her parents and loves her older sister, Paige. Like, she's written her letters. I forgive you. Let's have a relationship. You know, can't we, you know, reach out? And they want nothing to do with her. Still to this day, you know, 23 years later. It's wild. Stay out of our lives. Yeah. The the weirdest part about the entire story was when, well, actually, there's two. So both, so both of Paige's parents, the one with her father, where he says that I'm not your true father. Your true father is Uncle Robert. And then with her mother, when her mother comes out and says, "I never loved any of you. I, you know, brought you up, but I didn't love any of you." Like how I don't, I can't comprehend why these people would say these things unless you are completely and utterly brainwashed. Well, you're right. They, they are, they were, I remember, you know, my mother of parents are still alive in their late eighties and, and my mom, my mother's the most amazing person and so loving, so kind. I, I was stunned at that meeting. So we were downstairs in our basement and you know, we'd put our oldest son to bed and, and um, you know, Jack had been convinced he was never saved. And then Uncle Robert convinced him. And then Jack's like, oh, my wife not have been saved. So then they convinced her she wasn't saved. So now she's going to you know, spill the beans and confess to living this horrendous life, you know, Paige's mother. And so then, you know, we sit down on the couch downstairs and she, you know, proceeds to say, you know, I, yeah, I never loved you and all this other nonsense. And it was excruciatingly awkward and painful to hear. And I was dumbfounded. I couldn't imagine if my mother had said that to me. Now, I know it would never happen. But for Paige, it was so bizarre because she never really talked about it much with me. There was no processing. There was no at night tears as she's crying on her pillow. I can't believe this happened to my mom. I can't believe she told me that. There was none of it. Like it was, hey, let's go make lunch. She just moved right on. And, uh, you know, Paige's parents and Paige, as I make mention in the, in the book, are truly victims. They really are. Despite all the horrible things they have said and done, they are victims as well of the brainwashing and undue mind control of Robert Booty. Throughout the story, obviously, you and Paige are madly in love at the start. And as time goes on, become more distant. And she, at the end, begins saying things which I can't imagine anyone really saying to, you know, someone that they love. And do you think that's because you didn't accept Uncle Robert at the very start, you weren't accepting his ideologies as quick as they were. Well, clearly it all revolves around Uncle Robert. Mm. Um, I believe if there was no Uncle Robert, you and I would have never met. We wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> I wouldn't have read the book. Um, that's not to say that, you know, were Paige and her parents, you know, let's say ripe for a guy like Uncle Robert. I think they were. But I would still say, you know, 90 to 95%, if not more of their issues stem from him. Um but yes, it, there's no question that when she eventually left me, it all had to do with Uncle Robert. And not so much because at the start I didn't believe him, but more so because they believe, Paige especially, that at the start I lied. I lied about being a Christian, therefore I was a fraud, a demonic fake. It was the worst day of her life. That's what she told our children one day, that oh, our wedding day was the worst day of her life, the worst mistake she's ever made. Uh, she wished she could go back and do it all over again. So then in her mind, since she believes I wasn't a Christian, she has, you know, said, well, we were never truly married. And Peter left me from the beginning because he lied to me from the beginning. A lot of really utter nonsense and mental gymnastics. All an attempt, I believe, from Uncle Robert to ease Paige's mind that, you know, divorce is unbiblical. Don't worry, what you did was the right thing to do. And again, it all goes, it starts and ends with him. Yeah, so... Let's focus on Uncle Robert for a minute then. What personality traits did you notice that he had when in the first couple of meetings with him? Well, let's see. So I met him at her brother's, uh, Paige's brother's wedding. And then, you know, we got engaged like a week later. I mean, I had to meet him. I thought, okay, he's okay. And then we met him at our wedding. And it's funny, Ethan, because I look back, there's a few photos where Uncle Robert's in the shot 
And, you know, you would think for a guy who's marrying the love of his life, I'd be smiling. I Look at my face. It's just, <laughs> I'm not a happy guy. It's, it's, it's kind of sad, but it's funny at the same time. I look at these photos and, and I'm like thinking to myself like, oh my gosh, um, he's a weird guy. But it wasn't until about maybe three years into our marriage, three or four, where we were at another conference and he started talking about 9-11. Now, up until then, I thought weird, odd, wouldn't mind if he was gone. But it didn't seem as a danger or a threat. And then he started talking about 9-11. And again, I grew up in New Jersey. We used to go into New York City. I had high school classmates who were there that day. I had a high school classmate who was widowed that day. Her husband died in one of the Twin Towers. So, you know, I remember what happened. It was a big deal. And then he starts going on and on about how every single bad thing that's happened over history in the last 100 years is because of the Jews. Everything's a Jewish conspiracy. So when I met him, I had no clue that he was this raving anti-Semite. So in addition to all the other things that kept piling up and piling up about him that were odd and concerning, well, this was really concerning. And uh, I was quite frankly scared. Um, it was very dark. The way he talked about President Roosevelt was a Jew and Truman was a Jew and he practically spit the word out with such venom. And I told Paige, I thought, I, we shouldn't have anything to do with this guy. And if I had pressed it, Ethan, she might have left then. That would have been 2001. I don't know. But I didn't bring it up again. And I should have. I can't comprehend, like, dealing with a man like that who believes he is, you know, as if he's God's son, as if he's the be-all and end-all, the next Jesus Christ, who then believes such horrid things about a particular group of people. And for what reason was it that he thought that they were the problem? It was fascinating, I will say this. So there were a lot of things that he would share that were, you know, he would start out with, okay, there's a germ of truth to this. Like, that's kind of interesting. For instance, in the Bible, it talks about Jacob and Esau. They're two brothers. And, uh, and then their children, you know, they all kind of descended from Abraham. So the Jews, the Christians, and the Muslims all go back to Abraham, right? So all these three major religions all go back to this one guy. But then Jacob and Esau become, Jacob becomes Christendom. Esau becomes modern-day Jewry. And in the Bible, God does say, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. But then he would carry this on to today as if like, you know, every Jew knew this and all the Christians didn't know this and the Jews are controlling the Christians. And it was really, really bizarre. And at its foundation, you know, God is love. Jesus Christ is love. Christianity is about love. Uncle Robert was really about the other thing. It was a lot of hate. He had a phrase. He said, we need to accept what Jesus accepted and reject what Jesus rejected or we need to love what Jesus loved or hate what he hated. Okay, there may be a germ of truth to that, but you won't find those verses in the Bible. Mm. You will find a lot of verses of love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Right? Turn the other cheek, etc., etc. And And I read a fascinating book. I think you would have reached it in, in my memoir, Stop the Tall Man and Save the Tiger, where he had us read a book by this former Syrian. Well, she was born and raised in Syria. She came to America. And it's called A God Who Hates. Mm. Highly recommend that book to your listeners. It's fascinating. She grew up a Muslim, came to America, is now a Christian. But she talks about how, you know, on the Arabian Peninsula, these people who lived there lived a really hard life. And so were ripe for or ready to accept a God that was kind of harsh. Like that made sense to them. And thus, people who grow up in these very Muslim communities, that's kind of their concept of God. Whereas as a Christian, God is love. And he would describe Christianity from a very harsh, hateful standpoint. And it comes out in how they behave, right? I mean, they're, they're just shunning everybody. <laughs> you know, there, there was no room for negotiation, diplomacy, patience. There was no sitting around the table and saying, well, you know, Ethan Moreland, he's a good kid. He doesn't get it. Um, you know, we'll give him some time. He'll grow up. He'll mature. He'll get it. And it was like, oh, Ethan thinks Uncle Robert's wrong. Get rid of him. Never call him again. Like that was it. Did you, after the first time you said to Paige, you know, we shouldn't have anything to do with this guy. Did you never pursue it thereafter when he made more comments, more anti-Semitic comments? No, I didn't. And I don't know why other than I'm sure at the time I just knew it would be the end of our marriage. Or I was pretty sure it would be. Like I never thought she would divorce me. Never in a million years. So maybe it wasn't that I thought she would leave me. It'd be more like, oh my gosh, like I would get the Uncle Robert treatment and it would be a miserable life. 
and she would hate me. She wouldn't leave me, but my kids would hate me. They would all hate me. They would shun me. We might still be married, but it'd be miserable. So I never, um, you know, never pursued it. Because again, I saw what had happened to Paige's family. So what I did then, Ethan, was I asked a lot of questions. So I was a history major in college. I love to write. I've written two books. I love to read. Uh, I love to research things. I feel like, you know, I'm pursuing the truth, not always trying to find something that's going to validate my beliefs. Show me something new. Happy to learn. And okay, gee, you know, the, the Jews are behind every war and recession. Really? Well, what could I read that would prove that? And so then I would read these things that he would tell me to read and didn't really answer my question, you know? <laughs> and so whenever I asked them these questions, it was less of, the response was not, well, try this, research this, read that, let me explain it. It was, why are you so dumb, Peter, that you can't understand Uncle Robert? And so whenever he would say those things, I knew he was also saying them to Paige and her parents. And so there was now this friction and strain on our marriage that I knew was there. Even if at times I didn't want to recognize it, I knew it was there. The best example would be when Paige was turned 40. I talk about it in the book. I give it a whole chapter. I threw a great birthday party. But to me, Uncle Robert ruined the day because I had been asking more questions about the Jews. And he wrote this scathing nine-page bizarre letter uh, talking about all kinds of utter nonsense. And oh, by the way, Peter's an idiot because he doesn't get it. And at the end of this day that was you know, this beautiful, wonderful celebration... Paige is looking at me like, like I ruined it, like I ruined her day. How did that affect your mental health, the way that they looked at you because you didn't get what they were trying to portray? Well, good question. Um, the best way to answer that, and I don't know if it's a direct answer, but I will say this, is that I got to a point where I doubted everything. When I say everything, I mean every single thought or word out of my mouth had to be run by Paige and or Uncle Robert or both. And um, I had been so, you know, kind of ground down and beaten up and eroded to the point where I didn't trust anything I said or did. It always had to be verified or sanctioned or approved by, by Uncle Robert. So to me, that's not a very mentally healthy person. I don't think I recognized it at the time. I'm sure... Friends and family, when I finally reached out to them, you know, Paige left me. I didn't tell my family for four months wow. that she'd left me. But when I finally did, um, I'm sure they recognized right away that I was a mental, emotional wreck. Mm. Now, I would have recognized that after she left because I was. When she left, I didn't tell my family because she told me not to tell anybody. So I literally didn't tell my family or anybody in Montana for months. I couldn't eat. I lost 30 pounds. I couldn't sleep. I wasn't suicidal, but I was hours away from checking into the ER. I was a wreck. Um, so at that point, I knew I was, I was having a hard time. But prior to that, probably the biggest thing would be the doubt. Just doubt, fear. Yeah, miserable. The interesting part I found of the whole story was, you know, as I said throughout, you were pretty quick to go, well, no. But you, like, you were, you, at the start, you'd be saying, well, no, I think this. And then as time went on, you were very a lot quicker to sort of go you know i don't believe that but i'm not going to say anything and then eventually it became you started to follow along with some things and then as soon as Paige this said she decided she wanted to split with you the first person you called was uncle robert and that was a whole three you know whole 360 where i just was like you couldn't help but feel bad because you could tell you at that point you had been brainwashed like everyone else had in the, in the book. Yeah, there, I, you know, I just talked with a friend of mine who's reading the book and, and he, along with several other friends who have read it, you know, they kind of want to reach into the past and shake me and say, Peter, what are you thinking? Like, why are you doing this? Can't you see it? And that's kind of the way I wanted to write it because everybody did see it but me. So it clearly shows a person who was brainwashed. And that's what I was. So she left me. I'm miserable, desperate, scared, terrified, tired, exhausted, can't sleep, all the same. And um, I told nobody but him. I talked to nobody but him. And I literally thought he was my lifeline. When now I see he was 99% of the problem. Mm. Without him, there would be no issue like this. And I thought he was the only person I could talk to. And so there's another point in the book that I want to point out now, which really speaks to the wickedness of all this 
There's plenty of things you can point to that say, oh my gosh, that's wicked. But about a week after Paige left, she took the three youngest children with her to Idaho to live with her parents. The two oldest boys are with me. And she told me not to tell anybody, including the kids. So nobody, when I say nobody, I mean nobody knew other than me, Paige, Uncle Robert, and her parents. Nobody. So I'm, I can't sleep. I, I'm terrified. And uh, so then I would talk to Uncle Robert. Finally, that's every week I called Paige. I just couldn't do that anymore. And she talked with me for a bit. And it was more like a, a teacher scolding a little, you know, clueless child. And, uh, you know, kind of aired out all my just fears. And, you know, I can't believe my life is falling apart. Later that day, I called her father, who, again, is in the cult. And we have a conversation that was very similar. So then, of course, what do Paige and Jack do? Well, they compare notes. Gee, in the morning, Paige had told Peter to, you know, be an overcomer. You know, you can do this. You know, quit, quit your whining. You know, quit your complaining, even though, you know, your family's imploding. <laughs> Get over it and move on. And then in the afternoon, I had the same talk with Jack, and he's like, wow, Peter said the same thing. He didn't get over it. And so then they called Uncle Robert, and Uncle Robert told me, they told you to get over this. Why are you not getting over it? You are like a dog going back to his vomit, which is a phrase in the Bible about somebody going back to this awful sin, like an alcoholic, right? He keeps going back. A dog going back to his vomit. That's what they said I was doing. So let me set the stage again. I've been married 20 years. I've got five wonderful kids. I love this woman, and she's left. She's taking the three kids with her. Now I'm doubting my faith. My life is imploding. And they wanted me to get over it in an afternoon. And the fact that I wasn't getting over it showed that I was the one that was mentally sick. When I look back on it now and say, Ethan, if I had gotten over the fact that my wife left and took my three kids with me after 20 years of marriage, and I just eh, shrugged it off in an afternoon, that would have been a sign of mental illness. That's how bad it was. So what was the reasoning for Paige leaving you? Because I, throughout the book, as, as I was reading it, I kind of felt like you were going to be the one to leave her because obviously you, at the start you were like, well, I don't believe that. I don't believe this. This is weird. This doesn't make sense. This you know, opinion is um, anti-Semitic. And then all of a sudden she decides she's the one who wants to leave you. So what was the reasoning? Well, two words, Uncle Robert. That's the short <laughs> answer. So the long answer is, you know, she felt like I just never got it. I never fully became a Christian. She still thinks I'm not a Christian. She thinks I'm the devil, sorcerer, liar, sperm donor, bloodline, abusive, a murderer. In a recent court filing, she called me a murderer from the beginning. Mur that was two months ago. A murderer. Of yeah. Uh, the, a murderer from the beginning is, is basically calling me the devil. Um, and that was two months ago. Wow. So it's unfortunately things have not improved from that standpoint. So here he is, she is, you know, and, and after she left me, she then said in, in letters and emails, you know, I knew I made a mistake a few months after our first child was born. I never should have married you. You were always psychologically, emotionally abusive, which I wasn't. I raised my voice at her twice in 20 years. Um, and I had probably good reason to. So it was, again, it all came down to him. Um, there was this man that she adored and revered in her life. And she accepted his way of life and everything that he stood for and said. And then there was her husband, who did not. And she had to make a choice. And so from the moment she left, what point was it that you realized, not may, maybe not that it was a cult, but there was something really, really off about the way they lived? Well, it would have been a few months. It took a while. You know, I tell people that, you know, I was brainwashed for about two and a half, three years, and it took me a full year to really recover, to really get back on my feet and be wide-eyed and clear about it. But so there were a few moments along the way. And I remember one of them. So in the book, Paige desperately wanted to be a surrogate so Uncle Robert could have a male grandson to continue his precious bloodline, right? Like he is so important, he has to have a male grandson. So he had two sons, but they had daughters. They didn't have a son or at least a, a bloodline. And so, you know, to Paige, a few years prior to her leaving, you know, Uncle Robert's bloodline was so precious she was willing to be a surrogate until she could provide him a male heir which i thought was creepy and weird and i wasn't for it well a few months after she left she along with robert booty are trying to tell me you know quit trying to be the father the dad to the children you need to be their friend you need to be a friend to the children and quit trying to trap the children in this biological prison in other words since i'm the dad but i'm really only the dad because I provided the sperm, they got Paige pregnant. So then I'm like, that is wrong. 
that is wicked. And that was probably the first time. That was about four months after she left me. Wait a minute. That's wrong. And then there were several others after that. That's incredible. The the way they describe you as the devil and the sperm donor is really, really weird. Um, how, when they first started calling you these things, obviously, because you've lived a civil life with these people for 20 plus years, you know, you've come into their family, you've actually moved away from your own, you spend most of your time with them. For them to then call you that, how did that make you feel? Well, boy, it was hard at first, as would be for anybody. Um, you know, my kids started calling me that, she called me that, then, then Uncle Robert called me that, and um, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. Um, and again, th those were confirmations that there was really something wrong. It was also, unfortunately, confirmation that I thought, oh, this is not blowing over. Like, she's not just going to change her mind and come back to live with me. Like, this is bad. Mm -hmm. And I should point out, too, that, you know, there was a reason why I then became a bloodline and a sperm donor, and I should be the kid's friend. And the reason for that is, in cults, another important feature that is rather ubiquitous is that multiple generations, so it could be grandparents, parents, and children, everybody then becomes on one plane, all the children of the leader. So there's the leader and we are all children. So Michelle, uh, sorry, excuse me, Paige's uh, father um, called him dad, called Uncle Robert dad. Uh, Paige's mother called him dad. We called him Uncle Robert. Then the kids started calling him Grandpa Bob. The kids wanted to change their last name. So the idea for me to then just be a friend with the ultimate goal of Uncle Robert would be everyone's father. Yeah, to put you on the same level as that. Actually, it's a way of also outcasting you from the group because if you're not a brother or, you know, a cousin or whatever, and you're just a friend, then it means you're an outsider. Right. I'm not even their father. Mm. I'm just a friend. It's crazy. Um, have you spoken... So you've spoken to Paige after the fact that you split... Or yeah, so we we kept in touch. It was civil for about a month. It stopped being civil. She had told the children she had left or that we were splitting up. And then I talked with the children. Again, this is maybe two months after she left, a month and a half. And I told each one of the kids, I'm sorry. I wish I could do it all over again. Um, I take full responsibility. Um, I love you and I love your mom. Just to try and calm them so they're not worried about what's going on. Well, when Paige found out that I had told the children that I still loved her, she said, well, why did you say that? I said, because it's true. And she said, no, it's not true. You only thought you loved me. So she became irate because now the kids know, well, daddy loves mommy. Well, if daddy loves mommy, why did mommy leave? Well, Paige wasn't going to stand for that. She had to make sure that the kids knew it was my fault, not hers. So it, it, it overnight became incredibly toxic. Um, and so we would talk a little bit, but not much. And then she would send me these egregious emails and letters that thankfully we were able to use during the court process to where the three youngest children came to live with me full time. And they've been with me for five years now. So during that whole court proceeding, was there anything that was going on, which was out of the ordinary of what a normal divorce proceeding would be that would like the cult had sort of rubbed off within the court procedures? Um, yeah, everything, <laughs> I guess that would be the way to say it. Um, you know, Paige went through four attorneys. Um, you know, she has, uh, threatened criminal. We have a guardian ad litem. We've had two of those. So a guardian ad litem is there to look after the best interests of it, the child in a contentious divorce. Uh, you know, she has threatened criminal action against the guardian ad litem. She's threatened criminal action against me. She's tried to get me arrested. She's tried to get the guardian ad litem arrested. Again, you know, she's plowed through attorneys. Uh, it's been horrendous. You know, my legal bills are through the roof. Um, and unfortunately, it's kind of still going on because the three youngest still live with me. So there was really nothing, nothing normal about it. You, you know, when the people who deal with this kind of stuff got involved, so counselors, lawyers, garden ad litems, when they started to read these letters and emails, talk with me and see what's going on, I mean, they saw it immediately. My lawyer... The guardian ad litem and a counselor all said this was the worst case of parental alienation they had 
ever seen in a combined 60 years of practice. And that is parental alienation is where one parent alienates the children from the other, which in this case, Paige called me again, you know, a bloodline, a sperm donor, a devil, a sorcerer, a liar, an alien, on and on. And the kids believed it. Did she think that during this whole court proceedings that this would benefit her by saying these things about you? Oh, no question. No question she did, which again, it's kind of the exact opposite. It kind of shows mm. or speaks to, let's say a disconnect with reality on her part. Um, you know, I'm trying to be kind here. Um, but yes, she, well, not only did she think it would help her, Ethan, she believed it. Like she really believed it. Yeah. Like she did not say these things. Not like, you know, you and I are talking about, oh my gosh, this guy's ridiculous. He's a jerk. He's the devil, right? Like, oh my gosh. No, like these are well thought out, calculated in a sober moment of clarity. She literally thinks I am these things to the point where she puts them in writing and has no awareness of how literally every other human outside the cult views this. How old are your children now? So the two oldest are out of college, living on their own. They're in their early 20s. And then the three youngest are 18, 15, and 12. So they still live with me. They clearly see uh, the danger and the wickedness of Uncle Robert and what, would, what went on. They still love their mom. And that's a good thing. They should. I don't badmouth their mom. I've tried to be very clear with them about what has happened. And so they get it. Uh, to them, I think their faith now in the Lord is very genuine. It's not mine, it's not pages, but it's it's theirs. And so they have really come a long way. Have there been some bumps in the road? Well, yeah, you bet it with what they've gone through. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask how, especially you two oldest, how is their relationship with religion? Because obviously they've now seen it as adults. They've grown up to understand what's gone on and then they can make their own own opinion. So are they are they on sort of because obviously you're a strong believer, aren't you? You're, it's, it's quite, has a, like a massive impact in your life. Are they on a similar level to you or are they just, you know, do they have a bit more of a casual relationship with religion? Well, I don't speak to them much, unfortunately. And um, <clears throat> the last few times that we have spoken, you know, obviously this topic came up um, and it's, it's understandable that they would have the reaction that they've had, which is to kind of distance themselves from, well, from all of this because of how poorly it was portrayed. I mean, again, you, you think about what they've heard and been through. Again, it's understandable for them to say, I don't want anything to do with it. So it's very sad. You know, people will say to me, wow, it's amazing that you went through this and have not turned your back on your faith, to which I would say, well, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be alive without my faith. That's what got me through it. For the two older boys, it's not been the case. And we've had brief discussions about it. It got very contentious. And um, so I, I kind of look at it like it's a work in progress. You know, I'm not the first father to have adult children, you know, boys, young men who are angry with me. So hopefully one day that relationship will change. And I don't know if they still talk with Robert Booty. I, I know they still keep in touch with their mom and they love her and, and they believe her on all of this. I'm, you know, the, I'm the bad guy still. But, you know, the interesting thing is with Uncle Robert, like if, you, Ethan, and I and Uncle Robert sat down for a cup of coffee or a beer. There would be no chit-chat. There would be no, let's get to know each other, let's break the ice. Uh, you know, maybe we'll come back tomorrow after we get to know each other and we'll dive in. None of that. It would be, Robert would, would immediately dive right to your most vulnerable point. He'd find it very quickly. And we would go right into it. And you would either, so this would happen with my boys too is what I'm getting at. You would either submit, you know, groveling on your knees. Yes, Uncle Robert, you are right. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Or dialogue would be cut off. You would be cast out, shunned. We are done with you. So knowing where my boys are at with their faith or lack thereof, I can't imagine they are in any kind of communication with Uncle Robert. But I don't know. I don't know that for a fact. Mm. Is the, do you regret any of what's gone on? given the fact that obviously now you don't really speak to your two oldest. Um, but on the other side of it, you have your three youngest who obviously understand what's happened and obviously believe, not believe, but they sort of come to the conclusion that your side of it is the better side of it. Do I regret any of my decisions? You know, certainly since the breakup, not 
really, um, you know, it was a very difficult situation to be in, you know, kind of having to walk this tightrope. Um, you know, the two boys lived with me for about a year after she left. So it was very difficult, very tense, very awkward. I would look back and say I got excellent advice, you know, from my family, uh, local friends, and then my attorneys gave me excellent advice. And so in, in that regard, you know, it's worked out. When I think back to, well, what do I regret? What could I have done differently? Hindsight's not always 2020. It can be 2020. There's the option or the potential for 2020. And so I look back and think, well, what do I regret? <laughs> There's a lot of things, Ethan, I can regret. But if I go back and think, well, what if I had stood up for my faith in 2015 and not allowed them to convince me I wasn't saved and needed Uncle Robert? Or when Uncle Robert started talking about 9-11? Or when I go back you know, to that crazy dream letter that he wrote? So way back when I first met her after a few months, you know, if I had said something then, if I had really been mature enough and had seen the whole picture then, what would have happened? I think after we were married, she probably would have left me. Very good chance. But if I had been able to go back to 1996 or 1997 and do something differently, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Maybe we would, have, we would never have been married. I don't know. And... um I don't lose sleep over it now because I just can't do anything about it. I've just, I'm very clear-eyed and focused on what my role is right now. You know, I'm a season of life, I'm a single guy. You know, what's most important is my kids. And then also then secondarily, sharing this story. Yeah. To help others. What have you learned from the entire process over the past 20 plus wow. years? How long is your podcast? <laughs> um, I've learned a lot. And uh, there's plenty of lessons to be learned. Uh, maintain good, strong Christian fellowship. Don't allow yourself to be isolated because, number one, this could happen to anybody. If people think and they judge me, yeah, I wouldn't let this happen, fine. I really don't care. It doesn't bother me. I know it could happen to anybody. Um, so you got to maintain strong relationships with people. Don't become isolated. A strong marriage needs Christ in the center. Nobody else, not a counselor, not a friend, not a child, not a parent, certainly not the family guru, uh, or else that marriage is in trouble. And then certainly from a you know Christian standpoint, from you know, theology, um, salvation comes before sanctification. You know, salvation is free gift. You accept it, you get it. You don't need Uncle Robert or anybody else. So you don't have to do or learn things ahead of time. And that's what he did. That was acting as a gatekeeper to God. But also things like you know when I told people in Montana what was happening nine months after the fact, when I would show up to work with these red bloodshot eyes, puffy eyes, had lost thirty pounds, uh, nobody knew. Nobody had any idea what was going on. So the point is, you don't know why that grocery store clerk was rude or the guy cut you off on the highway. You have no idea what they're going through. So be kind. Ask questions. Reach out to people. And then another story I didn't put in the book, another lesson was right before I told all my coworkers in September of that year. I was really struggling and I was dealing with all this behind the scenes. And another coworker was worried about her contract negotiations. And she needed someone to talk to. And I listened to her for hours. And she really needed to unload and talk to somebody. And it was probably the best two or three hours of the day for me because I got my mind off of my troubles and helped somebody else. And there are times where if we are really struggling and we're so focused on ourselves, you know, what I'm going through, and even if you're going through something hard, perhaps the best thing you can do is help somebody else. And I learned that lesson among many other lessons. How did your coworkers take it? Oh, I got you know, more hugs in one day than I'd gotten in five years. You know, they all, they all were sympathetic and caring and kind and offered unconditional support. Um, it was a very, you know, it was an emotional moment uh, and it was wonderful. Did you sit them all down in one room and just be like, look, this is what I've been going through for the past 20 years? Yeah, so I, um, you know, they all knew Paige. They all knew her. Um, and the owner of the company, I sold real estate for a small firm, small brokerage. And about a month before, we had a staff meeting in September when I told everybody. But about a month before, he looked at me and said, are you okay? And I lied. I am fine. And it was now July. You know, Paige had been gone seven months. So I called him that night. Can we talk tomorrow? So I told him what was going on. And, and he was instantly sympathetic. I even went and stayed at his house. He and his wife have a beautiful house. I stayed at their house a couple of nights because I was really struggling. So then I said, you know, can I tell everybody at the office? So we would have a weekly staff meeting and there was, you know, 15 people there. And the staff meeting was just me talking because then nobody else wanted to talk about work. They all just supported me. It was great. Mm, 
No, it's incredible that people are so... Because at face value, it's quite a hard thing to understand because not a lot, not a lot of people go through such a thing. Um, and for them to be so understanding is obviously great. But so you were obviously a sports broadcaster and then you became a realtor. Um, but during this time, you wrote your second book, didn't you? The Well, your first book, The Blue Team. So what was the premise behind all of that? Well, the blue team started out, so I played college basketball at George Washington University, 80s and 90s, and it was going to be the life of the anonymous Division I basketball player, which would have been me, the guy getting dunked on. And then I thought, well, you know, other than my few buddies that have got a kick out of the, you know, the funny stories, it won't have much of a message. So I changed it up, and believe it or not, Robert Booty, Uncle Robert, was fairly influential in it. And the, the, the story is that, the story within the story, is that for the basketball player, baseball player, whatever, your greatest adversary is not the guy trying to block your shot or the teammate who won't pass the ball or the coach who won't play you, but your greatest adversary is your own mind. So when the Lord saves us, he saves us from ourselves. So you listen to great athletes. I don't care if it's, it's golf or rugby or soccer or tennis or baseball or football. The great athletes will tell you, you know, it, the battle's won up here, right? Like if you play golf and you're at your putting range, okay, and you're hitting, you know, putt after putt from 10 feet with your favorite putter, little white ball, you're fine. Well, now let's go to the Masters, the 18th hole, and you know there's $10 million on the line, and you got a one-shot lead over Tiger Woods. Well, if you golf, right now your palms are sweating, right? Well, the difference is all up here. So a lot of that lesson was from Robert Booty. Of course, then he would take it even further and twist it and kind of ruin it, but that was very helpful in the kind of the genesis, um, the formation of the story within the story of that book. And then, of course, after it came out, they vilified it and say I made a mockery of Christianity. And they say I only wrote it was to fool them into the thinking that I was a Christian. So they ripped it apart, didn't they? They ripped it apart when you first wrote it. You sent it to them in, by email. Um, so that even when they given the corrections, they were still unhappy with how you portrayed Christianity. Well, I think they probably kept it to themselves because when I released it, Paige and I were still together. But then a year later, when they were convinced I was a fraud and a not a Christian and still didn't get it, I thought, well, clearly if Peter's, you know, a demonic fraud, he couldn't have written a Christian book. So, of course, the book's now a lie. So I think once Paige had left me, you know, they were free to trash it, which they did. It's incredible. Um, so... You wrote that book. When did when was that released? That would have been twenty. That was initially released in two thousand sixteen, and then since I self published, I was able to go back and read it, which I did like you know a year later when I finally recovered, or two years later. And I thought mm, there's a little rough edges here with too much Robert Booty influence, so I kind of cleaned it up a little bit and didn't change the story. But there was a few moments where I thought mm, that sounds a bit too much like him, so I would change a word or two and then relaunched it uh, because I I now believed in it because when I published it. I loved the story. I believed in it. And then, you know, within the year, they had trashed me as a demonic fraud and unbeliever. So I was so focused on trying to save my marriage and just become healthy. I dropped all ideas of promoting the book. Then when I finally got healthy in 2018, I did the little edits and, and re relaunched it. So when you relaunched it, do you feel, do you feel now it's a better representation of you and less a representation of um, Paige's dad and obviously Uncle Robert. Oh yeah, no question. You know, did I ruin the initial story? No, I came close. <laughs> I really could have ruined it, but I didn't, thank the Lord. I mean, I don't, I don't know how I did, I, but I, I didn't. But yeah, I was able to clean it up. I think most casual observers who read it probably wouldn't notice much of a difference, but I did. I noticed it. One thing I did want to ask you from the start was, obviously, because you endured so much mental torture throughout how many years um, when things became toxic. So looking back and on what you've learned, how would you now, if you were to speak to your younger self, how would you now have come into that situation? How would you have dealt with it? Well, you know, I look back and I still feel like, you know, if somebody asked me, would you do all over, if you could do it all over again, would you change something to the point where you wouldn't marry Paige? And the answer is no, I wouldn't. I still feel like, you know, she is a victim and without Robert Booty in her life, 
she could be the wonderful person that I used to know. She's completely different than the person I married. The person I married was a wonderful person. And I believe she could be that person again. So was I mature enough or strong enough at 28 or 29 to have that conversation with her and have that knowledge? Probably not. But if I could go back with that knowledge, I would certainly try. I would have tried to point out the obvious flaws in Booty's you know, analysis of her dream, which is obviously very important to her. And I could have you know, tried to do things differently, been more mature. Would that have changed things? I don't know. Um, but I still to this day. You know, if you send me back to Pocatello in the mid to late 90s, I'd still ask her to marry me. I would still meet her. I would still love her. I would certainly try and, you know, uh, tackle this issue much, much sooner. Because as long as Robert Booty was in our lives, our marriage was doomed. Whether it was one year or 20 years later, it was eventually going to fall apart. It's almost like even though you did sort of subside and come to agree with it or just sort of fold under the pressure of their opinions and stuff it was almost like there was still that one percent of you that was sort of sticking out that they didn't like and they couldn't push down any further and that was why they kind of then shunned you and were like you're the devil you're this you're that you know they really wanted me just to kind of go away i'm sure Paige wanted me to just kind of disappear send checks to support the kids with money but just be gone be out of their lives and so then when it became very clear to them that I wasn't, that I wasn't going to just kind of go over it and uh, just move on with my life. And oh, by the way, when she filed for divorce, I said, no, I don't think it's irretrievably broken. I think we could fix this. They got even more angry with me, you know, just get lost. And so, you know, the divorce process took almost three years because I was never in a hurry to get it done. I never wanted it done. I hate divorce. I hate the word. I hate the thought. I hate ex-wife. I hate all that. And uh, so for years, and I would pray every day that Paige would have a road to Damascus type moment, which again, in the Bible, when Saul becomes Paul and writes about half the New Testament. Um, and I, you know, hope that she would have that moment. And she might. I don't know. Maybe she won't. Um, I certainly don't stay awake at night, you know, <laughs> hoping that she does. I was certainly hoping for it before we got divorced. And I was willing to, you know, do whatever needed to be done to work on it. You know, now, I mean, it's, you know, we've been divorced for almost three years. And um, while I still see her as a victim and would love for her to have her eyes and ears open to the truth and be rescued, be a hard process. And, um, but, you know, she is a woman that has been under this man's thumb her entire life. And that's a tragedy. Do you wish that you could have sort of separated amicably and held somewhat a relationship? afterwards no i don't know i guess i've never really thought about that because i knew it was never an option um i was not the one who brought the vitriol and hatred to the breakup because i never wanted it so that was always out of my hands so it wasn't like i could have made decisions to make it more amicable yeah because it wasn't something that i did okay um, and then I'll ask you one final question that I ask all of my guests, and that is, how would you like to be remembered? Well, I would hope that my children would remember me as a son of God, a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, not perfect, but saved, and a man that loved his kids. And again, was not a perfect dad, but loved his kids. That is the most important thing. Sure, I would like other people to know me as a as a Christian, as an author, as whatever. But it would be most important for me that my kids would know that I love the Lord and I love them. Love it. Um, where can everyone find you online and how can they buy your books? Sure. So I have, you know, I've got YouTube and Facebook page, but you can easily find me on my website. It's authorpeteryoung.com. I also have author Peter Young page on YouTube. And then you can find my books on Amazon. So the first one is The Blue Team. And then the memoir recently released is Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. And I know, you know, authors, everybody's trying to push their books. I'm similar to everybody else, but I do truly believe the way I write, I always try to make sure that the book has a meaning behind it. Because you're, you're giving me your time to read my book. I truly believe that with these books, you will get something out of it. 
what a unique episode of the podcast that was. Um, Peter's got gave such a great insight into the obviously traumatic and horrible period of his life, which involved being in a in a cult. And it's crazy that you know it took for him to to leave and be out of the situation for a year to finally realise exactly what was going on and the level of brainwashing that was going on within that family. Um, you know, great to see him out the other side of it. And if you want to like learn more about his story, then you can find his book at the link in the description. And you can also support him via his YouTube channel and things like that, which you'll find down below. But yeah, if you could remember to subscribe, like or share the podcast with anyone who may be interested, would really appreciate it. For me to get more guests, more interesting people, it, I need everyone to support and for this channel to grow, me to be able to do that. So appreciate you all and I'll see you next Monday for another video.